Hello and welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosofsky and I'm here with my favorite critic and my co-host, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you today? Good, how are you? Oh, not too bad. Good. We're both very excited. We have a filmmaker here in the studio. We have Gade Conte-George, who made this fabulous film called Jane and Finch. You probably missed it when it had its world premiere at the Toronto Black Film Festival because it was sold out. So, guess what? You have another chance to see it. And this time, it's on CBC Television on Friday, February 22nd. That is tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern Time and 9.30 Atlantic Time. That's a world broadcast and streaming premiere. So Mr. Jaden Finch gives an insider look into the controversial 2018 Toronto municipal elections via this focus on this wonderful man, uh, his name is Winston LaRose, and he ran in the elections. He's affectionately known as Mr. Janin Finch because he's someone who is tied to the community, has been tied to that community for a very, very long time and cares very much, so much so that he is not only an activist, not only did he run for council, but he also counsels people and does what he can inside the community to help people in that community. And so here we are, are with Gadi, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, as a, as a portrait of an individual, it's quite a fascinating look because the person himself, he's, he's quite fascinating. I can see why you were drawn to him. You know, he's, he's 80, 80 something years old, and he's a marathon runner, and he just seems to have this boundless energy. Completely. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and then as fate would have it, Doug Ford does this thing to to mess up our municipal elections. So it goes from being, you know, a look at him and his campaign into something something else, a look at, you know, a political documentary looking at, you know, an election. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff there, and especially a lot of stuff I just threw at you right now. Yeah, yeah. So basically, why do we start, you know, how it began and how you guys sort of maneuvered the different things that came your way. But, yeah, but start at the beginning. There's a completely different direction the film was going to take from the beginning beyond even all the different elements that you've explained so originally i i met uh, mr the rose uh, through a mutual friend uh yushet kromer um after i um had done a short documentary about the um black canadian activist dudley laws and in that short film i had um used a lot of archival footage so um so yushet said, you know, you should meet this man, uh, Mr. Winston LaRose. He actually has footage of Dudley and footage of, of, of you know, black Canadian history. And he has this amazing archive. And um, initially, it was right after I had my second um, son. And I wanted a mat leave because when I had my first son, I was in post-production of my first documentary. So I thought this time around, I'm not working on any projects. I'm not doing anything. So I said, leave me alone. I'm, you know, just enjoying my newborn, and that's it. And he's like, but, you know, I really think you should meet meet this man. You know, you have to take a peek at his archive. So I, I was like, okay, so fine, fine, fine. So when my son was three months old, I t- took him in my baby carrier, and I went and I met Mr. The Rose, and I was just in awe the first time I met him. And, you know, and then I saw some pieces of his archive, and 
I saw footage of the, the laws and Bad Sea and, you know, police protests in the 90s and, you know, Million Man March and all this rich richness. And I thought, okay, there's definitely something here. And um, from that point, I continued to get to know Mr. The Rose and learn all these different parts about him as community activism and just his 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 uh the work he does in Jaden Finch and his athleticism and you know he's a uh you know 100 meter dash champion you know at, for his age group and you know and I'm a former track athlete so you know I thought I thought that part was fascinating I can't even imagine myself being that active at 80 years old um and so as things progressed, we thought, okay, fine, we definitely have a film here. Uh, I was definitely going to tell a story about his archive and his community work. And then he, right as we got the green light um, from CBC, um, or after that, and we started shooting, he lets us know that he's running for um, running in the election. <laughs> and so then wow. we thought, okay, well, we have to follow that story too. And and then that story kind of, you know, it's kind of what they say, you know, the documentary gods just kind of kept on giving us gifts. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It's yeah. like it, this, this film shows us the magic of documentary. You start something, the gods give you something else, and, and who knows, something else. And, and documentaries often are not that straightforward. Definitely not. You know, we, we, we couldn't have predicted what was going to happen. Like, we thought his the election was just going to be run-of-the-mill. He runs. He was going to go against maybe three other candidates, one incumbent. You know, he would have had a good... He, he would have been, you know, uh, uh, you know, a fair race because he he knew his ward. He knew that, that, that Jane and Finch community, they knew him. You know, it would have been a great little side story with his archive. But, you know, Doug Ford made the announcement. Uh, all of a sudden, it went from about three other candidates and one incumbent to eight candidates, including two incumbents and Tiffany Ford, who was a very strong candidate um, running um, in the new Ward 7. And then and then throwing on top of that, Mamalidi's comments um, about the Jane Finch community and calling residents cockroaches. And then the, um, the, the member of parliament who went through the community with a bulletproof vest. And so there's just all these things that just kept on piling on um, to really throw us curves and we just had to kind of keep shooting keep shooting keep shooting and then um had the momentous job in post-production of giving the film a focus and when you were crafting that focus like one of the things i really liked about this film is it could have gone a lot of different directions like there's there was a point where i felt you could have even done a a satire of the political process because mr larose even though he's got these great ideas it seemed like he and his team started their whole campaign like they didn't really plan out ahead like some people when they're running for councilors think two and three years ahead and at least the way how the film was edited felt like they kind of just started this process about 15 14 weeks before the election and now are trying to field their way out but yet you found a way to to keep it serious you know it's Mm -hmm. still entertaining but i feel other filmmakers would have um, kind of delved into the surreal aspects. So was that something that tempted you or did you always know that? Um, I think we always knew. I mean, I have to give a, a lot of kudos to my talented editor, Sonia Gotti in Togobo. 
um, who and my producer Allison Duke, who's a, a very much a creative producer and an amazing documentary um, and a, a director in her own right. So um, our three heads together really worked to figure it out. But there is a part of the film that we knew we well I that we knew that we always wanted to come back to, and I always wanted, and I always knew I wanted to focus on, which was Winston. So how do we tell? How do we get Winston's perspective? So that kind of what grounded us. Um, like even the tangent about Jane and Finch. There was no way we could tell the film without explaining Jane and Finch. And we could have gone down the rabbit hole spending a lot of time explaining the dynamics and the stigma and all of, all of that part of Jane and Finch. But we um, always decided to, or I always said, okay, well, how does that push Winston's story forward? How does it push his perspective forward? Let's come back to that. So I think no matter all the different ways it could re- me- meander, it was always what is come back to the central person, which is Winston. And so I think that's that's how we kind of navigated that. Um, you know, it wasn't easy, mm-hmm. but that, that was kind of what we wanted to focus on. And there's also very interesting commentary between, or I, I would say, the political pursuits in terms of can politics really affect and improve a community versus the um, public activism because we we see in the film that mr <clears throat> excuse me mr Oros at one point has to decide whether or not he's going to invest fully into the campaign or if he's going to essentially kind of turn his back on his community for a few weeks to to help fund that Actually, I found that really interesting because I, it was more like he was trying to figure out how to interact between the two, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's one of the strengths of the film is uh, showing that he he was uh, trying to maintain a balance and he was succeeding enough, right? And but then the film is also showing you. Like I could feel that tension in the film itself, in the construction of the film and and how the film itself was sort of um, letting us really understand and feel the tension of balancing all that and that you have to balance it. He has to balance it. Right. Mm -hmm. Just to go off and expand on Courtney's point. Yeah, it was definitely that. I think that that was a struggle and that was apparent to us. So we made sure to kind of follow that follow how he was trying to balance the two, follow how he was being pushed in or pulled in multiple directions. Um, and because that was the reality that that was that was his reality. And it really was apparent that it was his inner struggle because he loves the community so much and he did not want to step back because people still have needs. People still need help. People still needed him. And he's always been there and he's and that's just his personality. And I think that's why the community he's so beloved in the community is because he is always there for the people when they need him. And he just could not balk on that. And I think that's a I don't know if overtly or inadvertently, but it's a very interesting commentary on the the state of politics, because I would argue that based on this film, he is more effective as a local activist than he would ever be as a politician. And again, we depending on if the election was a, a, a little more fair and balanced and Ford didn't throw that curveball, who knows, we might have seen the difference. But it's it's very interesting that even when you had, um, I think it was Carly Nation and at one point, um, the CTV journalist who yeah, was also yeah. a, um, a advisor 
Mm-hmm. And at one point, she was she was basically saying, like, you have to focus on the campaign. I mean, like, you just you temporarily have to turn your back on the community. And it's like, well, would we ever reach a point, do you think, where we could have both, where we could have a politician that is still truly embedded within the community? I hope so. I I hope so. I think that's the that's I think that's being optimistic. And actually, actually, I feel like that's a little sad that that can't even be the reality because that's how it should. Like, I'm someone who's never really been, you know, very, very active in the political process. I vote. That's what I do. And I've done my civic duty. But beyond that, I've never really paid attention to the political process, the election process this deeply before. And it's actually, and so when people say, oh, well, you know, when people get into politics, they start out with this noble intentions, and then it turns, they end up being a run-of-the-mill typical politician where it's not the people first. And so it makes me also wonder, well, then how many people are actually steeped and based in their community doing the kind of work that Winston does and actually get into politics? How many actually succeed? and come from his kind of pedigree. And it makes me curious because I feel like, I wonder if there can't be that many, you know, and maybe this is why. We, we see the uphill battle that he has to, to, say, to say why. I, I hope that more people, and I hope that that's a hope from the film, is that I hope more people can get more engaged um, in the process beyond just voting. Because voting, yes, voting is extremely important, and um, if people can get engaged on that level, that's wonderful. But if people can get involved even more and see that, you know what, I can run. I want to make a difference in my community, and I can do it beyond just doing um, the community activism work or the grassroots work or working with community organizations, but I can take it to a political level. I hope um, people feel inspired to do that as well, because I think... Um, I think, you know, some people have said if he had run 20 years ago, he would have easily won and he would have been a counselor. And, you know, this would have been a different situation, different Jane and Finch um, today. So uh, and it's funny because even at one of the debates, I remember um, somebody asking the incumbents, you know, what have you done for the community? And a lot of the things they listed off were things that actually Winston did through them. And 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 um, like the Boys and Girls Club, he, you know, one counselor claimed that, you know, well, not claimed, but it was, you know, he's like, well, you know, we brought the the Boys and Girls Club um, to one part of Jane and Finch. And, you know, but then he had to say Winston requested that and got, you know, and he was, you know, he's he just had to get push the politician to do the work. But it was through Winston. So there's so many stories like that in Jane and Finch. Of the, so I feel like he he's going to continue doing what he does. And so much of and I think also there was a realization of, do you know what? I can still do what I need to do, whether I'm counselor or not. Yeah. Yeah. He's 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 such a strong personality that, you know, that um, he can he can go forward with what he's doing and uh, hopefully inspire you know, as as you've been saying, hopefully inspire others. Um, the other, just uh, an, an additional point to that is that I think it's important that the f- the film shows us that the very um, it's that it focuses on Jane and Finch, the community, that the area enough that we all understand it better and understand like the specific needs and the specific history of what happened of how. For example, how quickly it got so populated with, you know, with the construction of such t- 
tall buildings and such it's overcrowded in some ways and that that presents a unique challenge that takes that takes more than you know an individual here and an individual there that it, it's like it should be at least i felt like this should be a greater focus of the larger community of the city or mm-hmm. maybe i'm just being naive but mm-hmm. it just it seemed to be like that it really brought focus to that kind of thing mm-hmm. well I, I think i i really wanted because i'm not from jane and finch and i never intended to make a film about jane and finch that the intention was to make a film about winston um and but there was no way to tell that story without including jane and finch so for me my entry point was through Winston's eyes, through Winston's perspective, but I felt like I needed to give context, and that context to me was, how did it come about? Like, we understand what it is today, and so often people blame the people in the community, especially with those cockroach comments from Mamalidi and all those kinds of things. There's so much blame put on the people, but it's like, it it, it was by design almost, you know, it was... Um, People are placed in an impossible situation and expected to thrive. Um, but so I thought people would have a stronger understanding if they knew how it came to be to really start that conversation of this is a structural thing. It's not it's not a, it's not a it's not a people thing. Um, yeah. So one of the aspects that I liked in the way you show Jane and Finch is that you touch on the media narrative, which has been perpetuated for years so even when we get the the scenes with Mamaliti, for those who are familiar with toronto media his comments aren't that shocking they're disappointing but they're not shocking because it this is the type of narrative that the media has pushed like there's a there's something that winston says in this film that really stuck with me when he said that the greatest threat to jane and french is redevelopment and if you think about the media has always prepared um, perpetuated Jane and Finch as a place of violence, of violence and crime. They mm-hmm. make it seem like violence and crime is the biggest threat. And he's like, no, no, it's gentrification that's coming in. It's the displacement of people. We're already overpopulated. They never focus on that particular aspect. So when you're crafting this film, how important was it for you to get that media perspective in to show a, a different side to the to um, the area? It, it was definitely... It was definitely important because I I didn't want to re-stigmatize the area by because we had to think about okay people who are not from Toronto they might not know what Jane and Finch is what Jane and Finch means what the perception is so how do we have that explanation without re-stigmatizing the community so um, uh, I think the best entry point was okay well let's just talk about the perception from the media standpoint and how it has been um, perceived over the years and just juxtapose that with the history of the reality of the community, you know. And so um, I thought from the media perspective was the most important because that's, that's a perspective that people see in general. If I went and showed the people from Jane and Finch, you would never get that explanation, right? You would never get that kind of, pr- which which would be... I guess, which I could have done that way, but I just thought it was stronger to show from the perspective of the media because I think that they, you know, that's that those are the perpetrators. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. 
for talking to us. This is, as everyone who's been listening can tell, this is a film that I think that we could keep talking about. And it sparks discussion, important discussion, interesting discussion. And, uh, of course, don't forget the number one reason we're here. It's Mr. Jane and Finch, and that's the title of the film. But it's also a special individual who works so hard for his community. And um, and he's sorry, but he's a charmer. He's just this. <laughs> he's a complete charmer. He is. You you meet him and you want him to be your grandpa. <laughs> that's, that's it, right? That, that's exactly that's exactly what it is. He's um he's just he's just a wonderful person, and I think that's that's what makes him such a um so beloved in the community because you go to him, you speak to him, like you, I've seen it when people come to him. They get his undivided attention, and he is just focused on them, and he makes you believe that you're capable, that you're, you're, yeah, that you're heard, that you're counted. And I think that's just so important. Absolutely. So, yes, it's vital. And there's no excuses because it's on CBC. You can stream it or you can just turn your TV on if you have CBC. So the world broadcast, the world broadcast and streaming premiere of Mr. Jane and Finch by our guest, Gadi Conte George, who's a wonderful filmmaker. We'll hear more from her soon. Come back anytime, please, with your next project. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so please, everyone, tune in tomorrow, Friday, February 22nd, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Eastern Time, uh, 9.30 Atlantic Time, CBC or CBC Streaming. It's called GEM if you're streaming. So that's it. So uh, we're going to be back in uh, just a minute. Thank you. Okay, you're back with Frameline on Radio Regent and iHeartRadio. Here with Courtney Small, and we're just going to close off the show. We're going to talk about, you know what we feel like talking about? We feel like talking about um, a subject or a, a category at the Oscars, which, of course, everyone knows are coming up on the weekend, on Sunday. But uh, one of the... the one of the categories doesn't – there are many, many categories that don't get a lot of discussion. Like how many people do you know that are, are passionately involved in a debate about documentary? A lot of people in the documentary world and a lot of fans, but not as many people who are, as the ones who are arguing about which one's going to get best picture. So we thought we'd talk a bit about that, and I especially have a favorite that I really think doesn't have a high chance of winning – but anyway, we'll start with. Uh, Would you want to say what your favorite is? What? So actually, let's remind people what the the um, nominees in that category are. There's Hale County this morning, this evening, RBG, Minding the Gap, Free Solo, and Of Father and Sons. Okay, so my favorite is Hale Counting this Hale County this morning, this, this evening. evening, because I find that it is. Uh, it is not the, the kind of documentary that we see a lot of. And when it's done really well, it has such an impact. And this film, which focuses on a community and specifically on two young men in a community, in a black community, in the south yep. of America. It's Alabama, maybe? Yeah, I think it's Alabama. And it focuses on them. And it, it, covers, it covers about a five-year span and what happens with them. 
Um, but it's done in this this very um, poetic kind of way in the sense that it doesn't have like a, most documentaries have some sort of narrative trajectory, even though it's a documentary, but they're put together in a storyline like, you know, this happens, then this happens, then this happens. Or, you know, here's a portrait of this person and this is what happens in their lives and that, that, that. There's always something. And there is a trajectory in this film um, and a certain timeline, but it's not hard and fast. And it's harder to make that kind of documentary and have people engaged. But the intimacy in this film and the the kind of imagery that we get, which is um, quieter, um, I keep saying poetic, but it's uh, for me. It's very ethereal. It's, it's yeah, um, yeah. That's that's what it is. And so to have that kind of imagery and have it focused on two young black men, which, in a way, in every way, actually, I think this documentary replaces stereotypical images. One of the the men he wants, you know, he wants to go to college. He wants to continue playing basketball, and so you could. You know, there's the stereotype around basketball players, all of them, right? There's a stereotypical about sports guy, but there's a stereotype around black men, right? Mm-hmm. Who, you know, are sports driven. Um, and so, and in, in their lives and in the things that happen and in the conflicts and the struggles that they have and their wishes and desires and dreams and um, this is in a, in, a, in a much different way. And, and it covers them at all in their glorious masculinity without being toxic, right? It, it allows them to shine as people, as individuals that are unique. Yeah, it, it really um, does, I think, something that's really rare and just kind of shows them as regular people. Exactly. Yeah, and we there's a lot of mundane moments that this film kind of lingers on. And, it's just, and again, it just emphasizes the point that, yes, you know, they're going to sit around in a locker room and wait quietly for their game to start or you know the way how a lot of events happen in this film it really forces you to pay attention like this is not a even though it's kind of got like a dreamy feel it's designed in a way that you have to pay attention because it jumps around mm-hmm. with time in a, in a way that if you if you're not paying attention you're gonna get lost in the way what's happening who's who's that and but at the same time it's just it shows everyday life the way it is. It's not sensationalized. It's it, it's, it's something it shows, really beautiful about you, that. Yeah, it shows you the poetry in that. It shows you a certain insight you can get from just paying attention mm-hmm. every day. Uh, the the going back and forth in time shows you juxtapositions and gives you insight you normally wouldn't get just in any kind of filmmaking. I don't. It's, I don't know if different. it's going to win. It's not be, going to win. I doubt but, it. Come see, on. the thing with the documentary category is, you can never quite tell because it's it doesn't always go with like what the crowd pleasing one is. Um, sometimes it goes more artsy. Sometimes it goes more historical. Hey, so, with something like RBG in the running, but I think RBG I, not, fills the crowd pleasing spot. It does, and it's not a well made. Just, just like if I can mention that without you know getting upset and starting another conversation, it's about as crowd pleasing as Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a much better film than Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, it's better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Everything's better than Bohemian Rhapsody, but that's another day. Um, but that's, yeah, that's the crowd-pleasing one. And, yeah, I mean, th- they give an Oscar to Rocky one year for best film. 
So it could be that RBG and Bohemian Rhapsody and, you know, yeah. win, you know, but, but... But again, I would hold Rocky okay. and RBG higher. <laughs> but, I mean, when you think of a film like Free Solo, which, you know, everyone's admiring for the achievement because it's an achievement in the making of the film due to the subject matter. Yes, uh, it's, but I think it's one of those documentaries that is crowd-pleasing but not in the usual way. Because if you think of some of the past um, crowd-pleasing films, I'm thinking of the, oh, what was the, the singing one that they had a few years ago. My, my mind is drawing a blank. It'll come back to me. But there's usually characters that you, you like. Um, the big controversy this year was that Mr. Rogers wasn't included. Yeah, or, yeah. Won't you be my neighbor? And that's one where people love Mr. Rogers, and even those who don't like Mr. Rogers will end up loving Mr. Rogers at the end of this film. And that's a crowd. But it's pleasing. a better. It's a better film than RBG. I love RBG. And she she is my hero, absolutely. Especially after that film, I had no idea about all those things better. But won't you be my neighbor? He's a much I, I, better I film agree. and didn't the, get nominated. I agree. That's, but I would also say that about Three Identical Strangers. But in terms it's, of, I agree, I of agree. Free Solo, Free Solo is a film that is surprisingly tense because you're watching this guy attempt to, you know, scale this mountain with no ropes, you know, hanging on by like, pretty much like a, a, a thumb, a thumbprint at certain points. Yeah. And the way how it's shot with the drones and the climbers that are going up with him, you're getting so many different angles and you know that at any point he can fall. And it's really thrilling. At the same time, he's not a likable character. <laughs> he's not one person. Like, but he and he even admits it. He's he's very socially awkward. And you see him interact with his girlfriend. And there's times where you question, like, why is she even with him? Like, he is, <laughs> he is really self self absorbed. You know, he's right. he's he's passionate about climbing, and he's like the best at what he does. But he's also very focused, and that comes at a cost to what we would consider quote unquote normal life. Yeah. So that's not quite the same. But that 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 excitement of, you know, hanging on by a fingernail, that kind of tension could be enough. It could be. For for it, it the voters could, to a, say a lot wow, of people say this is it's, so unusual. It is one of the the favorites. Um I again, I I liked all of the films. I think I did like all of them um, actually. RPG would probably be my if I had to rank them, my least favorite of the five, but mm-hmm. I I think it still has a better shot than, let's say, A Father and Sons, which is a really depressing film. It is. You know, and it's it shows a side of war that I don't think a lot of people really want to think about in terms of, like, how fathers and, and their young sons are basically being conditioned into jihadist um, ideology. Especially, I'm sorry to say this, but in terms of the politics in the states, I know the people that are in the arts, you know, are, are better minded than... Well, you'd like but to, you'd I, like I, to I think so. I would think that a jihadist, I'm glad that it got nominated, but um, yeah, I don't think that the, all the subtleties that are in, in that film would really um, put it in a crowd-pleasing kind of... No, no, I, it wouldn't definitely not be crowd-pleasing, but again... But it, are, in terms are, of crowd-pleasing, Are the I mean, voters like, going for crowd-pleasing? Are they going for artistic I don't think this merit? Would, like, I don't think this, that... Uh, of father, I loved Of Fathers and Sons. I thought it was oh, a, it's a great film. very great film. But I don't think that it's an Oscar-winning... You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. that There's a certain type of film. Like, you know, I was going on earlier, just to slip back to the fiction, I was going on earlier about how great At Eternity's Gate was as a film. And only Willem Dafoe got a nomination 
nothing else for the film. Everybody ignored it because it's too artsy. And poor Willem Dafoe is getting ignored. Like, people are like, I didn't even know he was in that category. Did he make a film? Yeah, and you also have to think of, like, the the Oscar voters are are of a certain brand in, ter- in the sense that they don't always watch things all the way through. Exactly. As much as we would like to believe <laughs> that every single voter, um, you know, is very critical of every film, you do hear the stories. Like Hollywood Reporter used to do the... Uh, the I forget, anonymous Oscar voter ballot, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and a lot of times I, people <laughs> thought that it was um, degrading to the awards. But I actually like those features because you get the honest That's opinion. That's the truth. And yeah, there's a lot of people that don't watch things. Like I, I know some coworkers that don't like Roma because they couldn't get through the first twenty minutes. And it's like, but you haven't experienced Roma if you can't get past the first twenty exactly. minutes. Like there's so much more. So every teach their own. But I. I think in terms of the documentaries, I, again, I don't know who the, the voting body is. I would assume that a lot of them are documentary mm-hmm. filmmakers. Um, obviously, there's, um, there's probably actors and producers as well. But I don't know. I think a film, like for me, my favorite film of the year was Minding the Gap. So that, that's the that one I'm, I'm hoping one. will yeah. walk away with the award because I think it... I'd be happy if that one It won. treads that perfect ground where it's, there's a lot of substance. It's really well shot. Um great new voice coming up and it touches on the issue of masculinity and toxic masculinity in a way that I don't think many films do. No, it it does. It hits it head on, which is laudable and important. Yeah, but I think it's a great film. Again, <laughs> but again, I can think of what well, we already mentioned, um, Won't You Be My Neighbor and Three Identical Strangers. Like, If there's one category where I wish you could have up to 10 Think yeah. It's a documentary. Yeah. Best picture, they stretch to eight, nine, depending on the year. It was like, doc- there's always so many good documentaries. So It's true. It's true. But, you know, as we said, this isn't exactly like one that people wait to see. If this had ended up in the commercials, uh, you know, it, you know that where they had that controversy where they were going to um, give away prizes in the commercial prizes oh, the com- sorry uh, yeah, the, the awards the awards in the commercial break in the commercial break i don't think anybody was crying over the fact that sh- live action shorts was one of them one of the four categories chosen even though they've scrapped the whole idea it was the cinematography and the editing that got all the big shots upset well those are like the, the two most essential yeah aspects but- <laughs> people would argue <laughs> of cinema yes absolutely i i agree but if it if it had been live action short um animated short documentary <laughs> feature and documentary drama no one would have said a word but i i think that's because and it, it kind of speaks to the nature of the industry like we're here in toronto we, we have the benefit of having a theater that's dedicated to documentaries we have this is too and we a have festival the, like the light box theater which will show the Oscars but for a lot of people unless it hits like Netflix or some streaming service canopy or what have you they they won't see these documentaries they won't see the shorts outside of like if it's playing in front of a Disney movie like Bow That's, did yeah, yeah so for them they people are going to be less angry because it's something they haven't seen but if you say I'm going to take away visual effects. I guarantee you the majority of the people watching the Oscars yeah. would have seen the visual effects category. Yeah, that's true. It's just, it's, it's the nature of, of how things no, are. I'm not saying they may not have seen Vice, but they've seen the Infinity War. They've seen Re- yeah. Ready Player One. So, I mean, it would be great if if the shorts 
got a lot more love, especially within the age of streaming. Mm-hmm. You would think that there would be a lot more. I know Netflix shows a few, but I there, did there see is a, a little more, more categories. Of them, like uh, as soon as they were announced, like Fove, for example, which is one of the the love action shorts, which it is great. released. You know, mm-hmm. a streaming, like free streaming. The NFB for the animated short. Oh, that Animal Behavior, yeah. Animal Behavior, they released it free. But the NFB tends to release everything free. They're government agency, right? Um, but, uh, like, for example, FOVE, which is not not made by a government agency, that was released, like, here. And so, you know, people are passing it around on social media, the link, mm-hmm. and you could watch it. And I hear, I think, Weekend, which is, a, I think, an animated short, is on Canopy, I, I hear. Oh, good, good, because that isn't actually, I I happened to see that one because I was on the shorts jury at uh, the Real Asian Festival. Oh, okay. And that was, that won the animated award at Real Asian. So I'm really glad Mm. that it, that I love that film and I'm really glad that it's nominated, got noticed, it's nominated and I, I think it has a great shot at winning. Yeah, it's, you know, as the Oscars always are, People get excited. Then the night of the awards get handed out. People complain. Oh, and then you, we start the cycle over the next. You just you wait to if you if you check in with me on Oscar night. Oh, it's going to be really cranky, Barbara. <laughs> Especially if Bohemian Rhapsody wins. Oh, tempers will flare in my house. Uh, I, you, Actually, no, because I think my husband agrees. So I, I don't know who's going to argue with me, but I will be really. I think no matter what wins, there will always be someone who's angry. <laughs> it's just it's the the nature of social media and in cinephiles. All right. Okay. Before yeah, we could talk about the Oscars and it's another subject we could talk about forever. Or I could anyway. I got lots of arguing about that one, but um we should say good night for our yes. good day. Thank you for listening for this edition of Frameline. So thanks everyone for listening. And we will catch you next time.